Have you been crying? Just a little. Oh. It wouldn't let me touch a thing. I had to put back everything. Every ugliness in its proper place. And I won't be able to use my wedding presents or anything because... Because they'll think I'm stuck up. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Daw. And while we do watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture, for those who are just tuning into the podcast or haven't been around since the last time we did this, we do allow ourselves one film per calendar year that we just don't review because we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yep. And um, boy, the poster for One Foot in Heaven really undersold how boring that fucking movie is. This is what we call the Bengal answer card in honor of the first movie we refused to review, Lives of a Bengal Answer. Though that movie was horribly offensive, whereas this one was just so tedious that you don't even need to hear about it. It's such a shaggy dog story that who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's about a priest who took up the calling from medical school and his wife who, whoops, I just fell asleep again. <laughs> God, it's so boring. The biggest conflict that takes up most of this movie is that he wants his parish to help him build a new church by donating money. I mean, literally, that is the crux of the film. So... Instead, as we are currently facing at least a national emergency due to a global pandemic and the complete mishandling by our government, and most of us are going to have to be stuck inside for anywhere from two to four weeks, we are taking this opportunity to recommend to you things that you should watch or read or listen to instead of One Foot in Heaven. I have a couple of things for this. I was trying to do religious things because this is ostensibly a religious movie. And then I went, actually, I hate this idea and I'm not doing it anymore. And instead brought in the posters for all of the Saturday movie festivals my wife and I have been doing at our place for like the last year that have film festival ideas that have six movies to them. And you can take a week to watch them if you want to at home instead of taking a day of people coming in and out, which is what we did do before global pandemic made that not necessarily a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have toilet paper, David? Oh, yes. Okay, because we have three rolls left in my house, and there is no toilet paper in New York City. Oh, yeah, no. I went to Ralph's yesterday and was like, maybe I should get more just in case, and then, nope. Also, there's a 10% chance I got the coronavirus going to Ralph's yesterday. <laughs> Because there were so many people there. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about going to Trader Joe's a few days ago. Yeah, and now I have two weeks of dried and frozen foods, but I was also in contact with about a thousand people. Uh, yeah. So religious films. I mean, not really religious films at all, actually. Because I was going to do that, and then I was like, Seventh Heaven is better than this movie. And then I realized, oh, wait, 
everything is better than this movie. Why don't we jump into talking about actual screen tests of time movies we've watched that we would recommend that people check out because we do that at the end of every episode, but this way you can have a nice screen test of time film festival while you're stuck inside. Because I think there's only like eight that I would really recommend people watch from everything we've watched so far. Okay. Let's see. Let's go year by year and say like what we both think is a thing people should watch from those years. I definitely don't have anything before it happened one night. Yeah, I'm kind of looking at it and everything before it happened one night is like interesting from a film historical perspective and not from a being a good movie perspective. Yeah. The last act of 42nd Street is the only thing I think I would recommend before it happened one night. And you got to go through the rest of 42nd Street, which is not a great movie. It's just okay. And as we said in that episode, you can find that last scene on YouTube. Yeah. You can add that to your list. The last scene on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. It happened one night. The Thin Man, I would say. Yeah. I have my reservations about it and might go like, maybe watch the second one. But I haven't watched the second one to say that for sure. I would say Cleopatra also from 1934, just because it is so ludicrous. With the understanding that you are not watching a great film, but you are watching a great piece of camp. Also, do the opposite of 42nd Street, because the last 20 minutes are boring. Yeah. When they get into the actual plot of Antony and Cleopatra, it's like, I don't know, I'm bored now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't actually have any emotional engagement with their relationship, so the two of them dying doesn't bother me that much. Fair. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, for sure. From 36. Yeah, I would say nothing from 35. Yeah, 35 was just a really long slog of nothing. Yeah. Then I would say Stage Door from 37. Eh, I like Stage Door, but I don't know if I full on- If you're a woman who likes women, watch Stage Door. (laughs) I like Stage Door, I just think there's a lot better women who like women movies than Stage Door. Not that are screen test of time movies. That's true. But, like, part of the screen test of time is putting it up against things in the present day. I'm just saying, we're making a list of actual screen test of time movies that you should watch if you wanted to do that. Yeah, and I guess I'm saying, uh, Stage Door feels a little bit dated to me from a screen test of time perspective, but from a list of movies we've watched for screen test of time, it's definitely one of the best ones. In 38, definitely watch Grand Delusion. In fact, if you watch no other film we recommend, I would say watch Grand Delusion. <laughs> I would agree with that completely. Again, every time I think about that movie, it rises in my estimation. It's a really, really good movie. The end? <laughs> Bye, everybody. No. In 39, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. And Wizard of Oz. Both great. But like everybody's seen Wizard of Oz, I feel like. But if you haven't, or haven't in a while, watch Wizard of Oz. I was really surprised because I hadn't seen it in a while and it's just really damn good. Yeah. In 1940, we've got a few actually in 1940 from my perspective. Grapes of Wrath, Rebecca, Great Dictator, and Philadelphia Story are all potential ones to watch. I definitely think watch Great Dictator. Grapes of Wrath may be a bit of a bummer. Same story as All Quiet on the Western Front. They're both good movies, but if you're kind of not in the mood for a bummer, maybe don't go in for it. But Philadelphia Story is very fun. My only reservation about Rebecca is like there's better Hitchcock, you know? That's true. If you're stuck at home and you just want to watch Academy Award nominated films, Rebecca's great. If you want to watch Hitchcock, I would go with Rear Window or Vertigo. Yeah. 
And then, I mean, Citizen Kane. It's actually good, y'all. <laughs> like, critics are wrong about a lot of shit, but they got this one right. <laughs> yeah, and so far that is everything that we would recommend yeah. that we have watched for this podcast of 115 movies. <laughs> good Christ. Honestly, I'm glad we did this because there were like five more movies than I thought I would recommend. Oh, well, good. Yeah, I thought we were at like six to ten. And it turns out we're at like 10 to 15. Yeah. So if you're not into watching Screen Test of Time movies, though, David, what would you recommend watching while you're stuck at home filling your time? Well, this Saturday, our film festival is doing our first actor-focused theme, where our theme is Michelle Yao. That's it. That's the whole theme. It's just Michelle Yao movies. So it's Super Cop 2. It's Yes, Madam, which people may know as... About a year or two ago, there was a meme going around Twitter that was a Michelle Yao and another woman in a fight scene to Cut to the Feelin' by Carly Rae Jepsen. And that fight scene is from the film Yes, Madam, which is just two badass women cops fighting over like a criminal conspiracy involving microfiche. So it's extremely 1980s. To Carly Rae Jepsen. Uh, not in the original film, because the original film is from 1985. Oh, okay. I was going to be like, that's the gayest thing I've ever heard, and I love it. The Carly Rae Jepsen video is great, just on its own. There is a wild-ass movie called Heroic Trio that's extremely direct to DVD in America, but there's also Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, mm, love it. which is one of the best movies ever made. And which we will eventually review. Yes. Crazy Rich Asians, which is also a great movie, but not one we will eventually review, unfortunately. And Tomorrow Never Dies, which is a very bad movie, but that movie does Terry Hatcher so dirty that just putting Michelle Yao in a cat suit and letting her shoot at things is extremely generous <laughs> on the order of terrible Bond movie that it is. Those are all really good suggestions. And if you don't end up having your film festival, then I guess we could all do it over Zoom or Discord or Twitch or whatever. I've heard that people are actually teaching their classes over Twitch. Just one guy at NYU. And mostly it was because it was a class about Twitch. No, I mean, I've actually seen on Twitter that people who teach like English are teaching classes over Twitch. That's a terrible plan. Don't do that. There's free screencasting software, guys. Don't do it. I also saw someone post that they had received an email from their professor saying, reminder that clothing is required for all Zoom meetings, and then pointing out that rules are not made until they're necessary. <laughs> oh, God, that's bleak. <laughs> so please wear a shirt, at least in your Zoom classes. So my list of films tended toward the post-apocalyptic. Sure. Which, you know, if you're stuck at home by yourself, maybe don't watch any of these. If you are stuck at home with someone else, probably would be fine. If you're stuck at home and you really feel bored and are like, I just want to go out and you need something to make you not go outside... This is a good recommendation list. So 28 Days Later, which is one of my favorite films, period. Not just one of my favorite zombie movies. Sure. It's absolutely beautiful. And if you haven't seen it ever or since it came out, going back and watching it is such an experience. I pretty much watch it at least once a year. 12 Monkeys, which is great and is one of the more underrated post-apocalyptic movies ever, I think. And is kind of the first movie where Brad Pitt was like, I'm tired of being pretty, I'm going to be weird. Yeah. 
And Bruce Willis is in it and is great and actually gets kind of an opportunity to act while still being an action hero. It's a great film. Mad Max Fury Road, obviously, which we will also eventually be reviewing for this podcast. Do I even need to say anything about why that movie is great? (laughs) I feel like we've talked about it weirdly already a couple of times. It was when everyone was doing their best of decade lists, weirdly this consensus choice of, we all said this movie was good, but weirdly we slept on it anyway. Like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we kind of just all agreed, oh yeah, that was the decade in cinema, was Mad Max Fury Road. Which is weird, because the Academy got that one right, and a lot of critics did it. Well, I mean, it got it right that it was one of the nominees. Yeah, yeah. Then Shot of the Dead, if you're just feeling like you need something humorous, and also a recommendation to not leave your fucking house. (laughs) Yeah. Don't go down to the pub. Train to Busan is amazing. Have you seen it? No, I keep meaning to, and I probably will over the course of this week, because that's also the first one of these you've recommended that I have not already seen. It's phenomenal. So Snowpiercer is one of those movies that I feel like a lot of people like, but people who don't like it really hate it. But the structure of it with the train and everyone being trapped in that setting and the way that the set changes very quickly as you move through the train was something I really liked about that film. And Train to Busan has that and then also is just, I mean, really immediately stepped into top five zombie movies ever made. Not necessarily zombie movies, but WALL-E is a great post-apocalyptic film. Yeah, we watched Wally again like a year ago. I forget why. And that shit holds up. Yeah. There's some, especially very, very early Pixar, like Toy Story weirdly doesn't hold up visually. They were still figuring some stuff out on how to do computer animation. Right. And so it is weirdly a movie where you look at it and go like, oh, that's kind of creepy looking and uncanny valley-ish, even though they're toys. <laughs> But, oh, God, Wally is so good. It's so good. Dr. Strangelove, I feel like, is a totally appropriate film for this moment. And is hilarious. If you haven't seen it and you've been kind of nervous about it being pretentious because it's in black and white and it's Kubrick, it's actually really fucking funny. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yes, but not since college. I really should rewatch it again. And it also is one that we're going to eventually review. I didn't even realize that until right now. Yes. So those are my movies to keep you from going outside. (laughs) So I am torn here because should I do the movie festival playlists that include some of those or the ones that don't include any of those? What are the themes of the movie festival playlists? I'm going to do ones that include it because I think there's a bit that I just really like. Because one theme is movies that count, which is First Wives Club, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Three Days of the Condor, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Fifth (laughs) Element, Sixth Sense, which does not include any of the movies you've mentioned. But the one for next month, which I think we're probably going to do virtually now, is Movies That Count Higher on 420. (laughs) I get it. Which is Seven Samurai, Eight Mile, Nine to Five, Ten Cloverfield Lane, Ocean's Eleven, and Twelve Monkeys. So Nine to Five is an amazing film. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But also Nine is really good. Did you see that? Yeah. It is this weird thing where because of what we're doing, I'm going for stuff that's like slightly less challenging. That makes sense. Yeah. On these playlists. The other one that I included Mad Max Fury Road in is just six car chase movies. So we've got Bullet, 
We've got Fast Five as the honorary Fast and the Furious movie, which is the one that ends with them dragging giant safes through a city that swing around like giant maces behind the car and destroy entire buildings. And there's a really fascinating Vanity Fair video on YouTube about how they did that whole sequence. That is an absolutely great argument for why there should be a stunt coordinator Oscar. Then there's Fury Road, uh, there's Baby Driver, there's The Italian Job, and then there's the joke pick of Herbie Fully Loaded. So you need to add the French connection. Yes. And which Italian job? Uh, the original one. Okay, okay. I mean, the one in the remake is still good, but it's not as good as the original. No. French Connection is obviously what you should pick over Herbie Fully Loaded, but usually the first one that gets shown is a thing that's basically just there for me as a joke, because I'm still cleaning up the apartment and nobody's there yet. Makes sense. So, yeah. And then finally, Shaun of the Dead was included in our Sorry Not Scary October of Shaun of the Dead, Hocus Pocus, Beetlejuice, The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Craft, and Paranorman, which are six good, not scary Halloween or horror, quote unquote, movies. It doesn't hurt to have something a little spooky, but also comforting. Yeah. So those are our movie recommendations. I'm also going to take this opportunity myself to watch some stuff that I haven't seen that people have recommended to me. Sure. Or that all of the internet talks about and I feel left out. So Schitt's Creek is on my list. I can't. I just, I've tried it several times and the Chris Elliott of it all. Mm. I fucking can't with Chris Elliott's existence. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Poor Chris Elliott. But I also understand. He has a very specific sense of humor. That's not really mine either, but I'm going to give it a shot. Happy Endings, which I know almost nothing about, but like five people have recommended to me. And then What We Do in the Shadows, which requires me to watch both the movie and the series. But my best friend Helena and her husband Thomas have both told me that it's absolutely amazing and that they would watch the entirety of both all the way through again. Yeah. There are a couple of off episodes of the TV series, but I love both the movie and the show. And when the show is on, you see so many movies where you think like, I want to watch the next five minutes after this movie. And then you kind of get that chance and go, oh, it turns out I didn't actually want to watch the next five minutes after this movie, you know? I know exactly what you mean. Yes. The What We Do in the Shadows TV show is not a direct sequel to the movie. And in fact, the way that it is related to the movie is kind of a great bit that I won't ruin that you slowly discover over the show. But it is definitely more of that world. And you go, oh, it's great to get more of that world instead of going like, oh, I kind of knew everything I was ever going to enjoy knowing about this. And it was just going to be disappointment from here on in. My disappointment is there's a couple of episodes that are just kind of like shock value sex jokey stuff that I'm kind of bored with. That's just not my necessarily sense of humor. But that's a very small amount of the runtime of the show versus, honestly, I think it mostly bothered me because after the first three episodes, I recommended the show to my parents and then had to go, actually, maybe not. Maybe not the orgy episode. <laughs> <laughs> the- <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I can, yeah, I can see how that would be an awkward thing to have recommended to your parents. For TV series that are done, which people may not have seen, I will always take a Bengal Answer episode opportunity to plug Black Sails, with the caveat that you have to power through the first season for the show to be really, really great. But hey, you're stuck at home, so might as well. Hannibal, which I think was one of the most underrated shows ever made, and also one of the most terrifying and beautiful did you watch hannibal surely you did yeah of course i watched hannibal yeah you love brian fuller so yeah i've been meaning to go back and watch it again now that i can watch it all at one time don't trust the bitch in apartment 23 or don't trust the bee whatever (laughs) which is fucking hilarious and is a tragedy that it was canceled after one season and selfie which i also think is fucking hilarious and it's a tragedy it was canceled after one season and both shows canceled almost certainly because of the terrible name because of the terrible name that some abc executive gave it And I don't understand why. (laughs) And then You're the Worst, which is kind of in the same vein as both of those shows. And somehow darker even than Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, but is really excellent. And while it is super funny and definitely has that kind of always sunny quality to it where you're watching a lot of terrible people be terrible, (laughs) is one of the most accurate portrayals of mental illness that I've ever seen on screen, uh, specifically PTSD and depression, and yet it's still really funny. Those are my TV recommendations. I am trying to think of more TV recommendations. I've been watching a lot of weirdly older stuff on TV. I don't know if I've ever recommended watch Cheers. Cheers is one of the best sitcoms ever made. It really largely holds up. You will be kind of amazed how current it all feels. I think I just kind of miss Ted Danson now that Good Place is over. And like, hey, Ted Danson was on TV for a long fucking time. Yeah. You know what else is really good that's an older show like that is MASH. See, I can't do MASH because MASH, there's a Futurama episode where they go to war and there's a Hawkeye robot that has an irreverent to maudlin switch that he just can flip on himself, where he is in maudlin mode and goes, this isn't a war, it's a murder. And then flips it back up and has Groucho glasses on and goes, this isn't a war, it's a moida. And like, that's all of MASH to me. I know it's a really good show. I know Alan Alda is good. I just, yeah. Fair enough. I love it. But also I haven't seen it since I was like 12. So I could be wrong. I don't know. I also haven't seen it since I was 12. So like maybe as an adult, it'll hit me different. But like as a kid, I was always like, ah, MASH. Yes, as the intellectual child, I will watch. Oh, I fell asleep. When is Price is Right on? (laughs) I know you are not a huge Steven Universe fan because you kind of can't with uh, Steven himself in the first season or so, which is really understandable. But it is finishing up its run, and it is probably the best show about identity (laughs) in the past 10 years. It's a really great show. In the David is a Nerd and Watches Anime column, there's a volleyball anime called Haikyuu that is just a bunch of really earnest high school boys all playing volleyball together. Getting better at volleyball. And it's, like, adorable and great. And I think all on Netflix, or at least the first, like, three seasons are all on Netflix, which is a lot of fucking show. 
don't know. That's maybe it for TV for me. We're working our way through Lodge 49, and I quite like it. I haven't finished it yet, so it feels irresponsible to go like, ah, yes, Lodge 49, definitely. Because, like, I'm five episodes in. What is that about? I've never even heard of it. That was kind of the problem with it. It's an AMC show that is ostensibly about a lodge in a very loosely fictionalized version of the Freemasons. This sort of ties back to my weird Southern California rant from last week, because it's set in the sort of miscellaneous around LA suburbs. I think it's explicitly Long Beach. But the main character is a former surfer who went on a surfing trip to Central America and got bitten in the leg by a snake that almost killed him and then came home and couldn't surf anymore. And then his dad died. And then all of the debt from his dad's pool business went to him and his sister, who actually has a job unlike him. And he keeps trying to push toward this weird Freemason Lodge being kind of transcendent and magical and a solution to all of his problems. And there is an older black man who is sort of in charge of the lodge proper, who is also a pipe salesman, like he sells piping for construction jobs. And he thinks of the lodge as more of a, like, quotidian earthly place to get together and commune with each other. And it is kind of this battle between, is there anything transcendent happening here, or is the only thing transcendent that you really need just people getting together and associating with each other? But also there's weird dead bodies in locked off rooms in the lodge that they find that leave weird alchemist notes. Holy shit. It is a weird show where magic shit keeps happening, but all in ways that are plausibly deniable. And maybe it is just about the recession and trying to live your life under late capitalism, or maybe alchemy is real. It's kind of hard to say. This sounds rad. It's pretty rad. I'm going to add this to my going to watch list. Uh, It's all on Hulu now. It is unfortunately canceled, but there's two seasons of it. So like 20 or so episodes. Cool. I have been, video game-wise, recommending the Yakuza series to people for quite some time now, uh, which is ostensibly, they kind of call it Japan's answer to Grand Theft Auto, but I kind of hate Grand Theft Auto, and I really like the Yakuza games, because they're actually fun. They are actually about the Yakuza, which, if you don't know, is sort of the equivalent of the mob in Japan that has a whole bunch of different cultural associations added to it and is sort of very romanticized by a lot of people in Japan. And the main character in most of the games is a guy named Kiryu Kazuma, who falls into a very extremely specific bit that gets me every time, which is a guy who believes in a very romanticized rule set version of a thing. And then people keep coming to him and going like, you get that that's a sucker's game, right? You get that we only say that we're good and noble as a way to get the heat off of us for like extorting people and kidnapping children. And he's like, no, I like the noble lie better and beats the shit out of them. Which is also like Worf on Star Trek, which was always one of my favorite bits, when everybody in the Klingon homeworld would be like, actually, we just really like killing people. All of the like nobility and honor shit is just bullshit. And he'd be like, no, the bullshit's better. We're going to actually go with the bullshit version. Oh, I like this. The games are extremely open world, but in a very small area. It all takes place in a fictionalized version of a like 10 block entertainment industry in Tokyo called Kamurocho. 
And the core story is very serious, like uh, manly men taking off their shirts and showing their tattoos and battling each other for honor stuff. But then there's bunches of side stories where Kiryu like decides to race pocket racing cars with eight year olds. <laughs> and gets sidelined into just helping random people on the street with their problems for huge amounts of gameplay time. And that discordant tone between this is about a very serious matter of honor, my friend is dead and another is in jail and we have to battle on the top of this building in front of a bank vault. And like, also, be the best disco dancer you can be. <laughs> There's like eight games in the series now, but the really good starting place is a game called Yakuza Zero, which is set in 1988 before all of the mainline games, which were all came out as relatively present day. But 88 was the height of Japan's economic boom before they had a really big collapse in the late 80s into a recession for most of the 90s. It's kind of a Miami Vice version of a Yakuza game and has very accessible mechanics and very accessible story because it is chronologically the first thing to happen to all of the main characters from the series. And it's also become available on absolutely every platform, including PC. If you have basically any console or a PC that can run games, you can get it probably for pretty cheap because it's like a five-year-old game now. And it's super fun. Yeah, I don't have any video game recommendations because I don't play video games. Totally fair. But I do have some book recommendations. That works. Ezra Klein's new book, Why We're Polarized, is really, really good. Though it is a bummer. But very eye-opening and explains a lot about our current political situation and cites a lot of studies that have been done about partisanship and is generally really good. On the other side of books that are sort of about politics, but are uplifting and wonderful, Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston is amazing. I don't know if you've read it. It is actually classified as a romance novel, but it is about an alternate universe where we have elected the first woman president, and her son gets involved with an alternate universe version of... Not the Prince of Wales, but basically what William and Harry are and their romantic relationship. And it's really, really sweet. And also the dialogue is great. And it is strangely comforting at a time when it would have been really nice to have elected the first woman president. <laughs> On a similar note, part of the conceit of the latest William Gibson novel, which is actually the second in, he tends to write trilogies of books. And this is the second in a trilogy that started with a book called The Peripheral, which I really, really enjoy and is becoming an HBO series by the same people who made Westworld and Person of Interest, which Susan and I both prefer to Westworld oh. because we are people of culture. <laughs> Well, also, it's just <laughs> infinitely better. Yes. Yeah, actually, if you haven't seen Person of Interest, that is a show that is totally wrapped, and you can definitely watch it while you were stuck at home. Yes, although they keep fucking pulling me back in on Westworld, because after season one, I was like, that had a lot of enjoyable stuff in it, but I don't know if I really need that, and mostly just read about season two, and was like, uh, I'm kind of glad I checked out when I did. But all the season three stuff is like, oh, this is what I wanted the show to become. Shit. They may have gotten me back. 
but I'm talking about books right now. And the books I'm talking about are this new series that is set in two different time periods. The Peripheral has a time period that's near future, late 2020s, early 2030s-ish, where you're sort of in the rural South and a constant stream of wars have left a lot of people where they can only really do telecommuting jobs. But it's also set in the early 22nd century, after a long period that the book calls The Jackpot, which is basically a slow-motion rolling apocalypse that takes up most of the back half of the 21st century and kills off like three-fourths of Earth's population before advanced technology finally advances enough to kind of stabilize all the shit we fucked up. In that advanced future, they start having access to time travel that can only transmit data. Only information can be transmitted. But they have a lot of shit they can do with that because of advanced technology, and those two time periods come into contact in the peripheral and talk to each other about the state of the world, and that is the same basic structure of his new novel Agency, except Agency is set in a different stub, which is what they call the alternate timelines that the future can talk to in those novels. And in that stub, Hillary Clinton was elected president rather than Donald Trump. And like everybody who hears about Donald Trump getting elected president is like, oh God, it could be so much worse. Oh Jesus Christ, it sounds like a nightmare over there. (laughs) But the main core plot is about a main character who comes in contact with the first true AI in that timeline, and how both she and the AI immediately realize that puts them in tremendous amounts of danger, and what they're going to do about it. It's really good. Gibson has a really good handle on the actual slow-motion apocalypse we are living through that hopefully will not last as long or be as deadly as the one in his books. But if all science fiction is about the present, he has the best handle on the presentness of this weird future moment we are in of almost anybody writing today. And both of those novels I highly recommend. And hopefully the peripheral TV show will be something I can highly recommend in a year or two. (laughs) If they're able to shoot it. Yeah. It's going to be wild, and I still have fantasy casting for that show because they never quite announce. I think they keep getting caught up in making more Westworld, (laughs) so they haven't quite announced a cast list. But there's a character in the peripheral named Lowbeer who's the future version of a detective, but she's a detective for the weird kleptocratic world government that's basically just stepped in because there's no functioning government anywhere anymore, and just, like, knows everything about everyone and is trying to be vaguely benevolent and just keep the status quo because other things die, and you're like, well, that sounds really, really malevolent, actually. And you're like, yeah, it does. But she also looks like a vaguely comforting looking old woman. And I desperately, desperately want them to cast Anna Devere Smith for it. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. I need to read this series, but also it makes me really nervous because the number of times that William Gibson has come up with something and totally nailed it is pretty high. Obviously, Neuromancer was pretty prescient. Pattern recognition was super prescient about viral video. Yeah. And I, I don't, I, you know what? Yeah, I actually like freaking myself out. So I probably will read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is something comforting to the specific setup. But yeah, I, 
the jackpot is basically how I think of how the next couple of decades are going to unfold unless something weird happens for the good. Because the general idea is just like the solution we come up with for collective action problems is we never come up with a solution. Just eventually we get enough technology that we don't need a collective action to solve big issues like climate change anymore. Right. And that takes a long time and a lot of bad shit happens in the in-between. That's a huge bummer. Yep. And also sounds very, very, very plausible to me right now. So, yeah. <sighs> what other books do I have to recommend? Oh, the Southern Reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer is great if you haven't read it, which is also very post-apocalyptic. I just got through reading all the uh, ancillary books, and I have to Google who wrote it, which is extremely embarrassing, because my wife actually, full disclosure, did a very small amount of graphic design for that universe for Anne Leckie. There's a future religion in the ancillary justice books that Nikki did some iconography work for, but I was just reading them because someone was reminding me that they exist generally. And also, if you want to talk about bodies and identity, ancillary justice is a series of books set in a universe where it's the far future, it's space opera, and the ships all have AI in them. And that ship AI has a sort of hive consciousness of itself and ancillaries, which are basically dead bodies that they stuck the AI consciousness into to run around and run the ship and be super soldiers for the military. And the main character is one of those AIs that has lost basically every single ancillary of itself except for one single body. It used to be a ship with a thousand different bodies, and now it's just one person wandering around the universe on a quest for vengeance. And it rules. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely also check that one out. And then if you want something that is going to be pretty escapist and don't want to read about the, you know, falling apart of the entire world, I definitely recommend The Night Circus, if you haven't read it yet, by Erin Morgenstern, and also her new book, the Starless Sea, which I really enjoyed, as well as my perennial favorite, The Master Margarita. Read some Russian literature, because it's definitely never a bummer. <laughs> but this one is also funny. Is it Russian funny or is it funny? Uh, it kind of walks a line. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Like, it's definitely darkly humorous, but it's not like Chekhov, we're all miserable and all going to die funny. Like, it's always been really strange to me that Chekhov thinks that everything but the seagull that he wrote is a comedy. I mean, Uncle Vanya is a comedy? Are we serious? Though the film adaptation, Vanya on 42nd Street with Wallace Shawn and Julianne Moore is absolutely phenomenal. So if you want something that is definitely not a comedy, but is Russian literature and you don't want to read it, that's a good recommendation. So yeah. I'm going to make you watch the anime opening to the dumb volleyball anime just because the animation is so good. So just break to watch a dumb anime opening on YouTube. Right now? Yeah. Okay. Because I feel like you didn't take that recommendation seriously enough and I didn't sell it enough. Okay, this is pretty rad. <laughs> I also really like the music. Yeah. They are very earnest volleyball guys. They're just very earnest volleyball boys, Susan. Like, I cannot disagree with that. <laughs> Also, the animation is beautiful. Yeah. The reason I wanted to make you watch this is the very last sequence in this opening is just some of the best animation I've ever seen. And they're just playing volleyball. Yeah. And since all sports are canceled, I mean, <laughs> that was rad. 
Oh, wait, there's more. Oh, no, there's just the interstitial. Oh, okay. The, like, commercial break in the middle of the episode interstitials for it is really great because it's them doing line exercises where you're trying to, like, hit a water bottle right on the inside of the line so that it counts as in. And it is just a series of, like, them whiffing it on the first try, and sometimes they whiff it on the second try, and sometimes they get it on the second try, and sometimes they accidentally hit the camera. It's an extremely charming show that manages to animate volleyball to make volleyball deeply exciting. I kind of didn't sell it enough because it's probably the TV show I would most be selling to people that I haven't been... Like, I feel like I've been on the Steven Universe grind for like five years now (laughs) of just like, yo, watch this show. It's fucking fantastic. So that's my only real recommendation where I was like, wait a second, I actually want people to watch this show. So yeah, everyone watched the volleyball anime, which is called what again? Haikyuu. It's some like cultural variation on like faster or higher with two exclamation marks at the end of it. And it's just H-A-I-K-Y-U. And it's on Netflix. Honestly, if you just search for anime on Netflix, you're going to get it pretty fucking fast. It's about an extremely short boy that wants to be good at volleyball, which is a sport you're supposed to be tall to play. So those are our recommendations for what you can do while you are stuck inside on self-quarantine. And uh, we'll be back next week with a review of The Maltese Falcon. Oh, a good movie. Yeah. So get excited about that. You might even want to watch it before we release the episode, because what else have you got to do? Yeah. And until then... This wasn't a movie. It was a bunch of recommendations so that we wouldn't talk about that movie. You can go. We're not going to talk about the movie. No. It's not going to happen. And don't forget to wash your hands and stay six feet away from people if you're at a public gathering. Yep. Bye, Bye, everybody. everybody.